This is Sheldon Bull, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 29 for Thursday, July 21st, 2011. I am so excited that today I get to present an interview with author, writer, producer, Sheldon Bull, author, of course, of Elephant Bucks. We've been talking about it for several weeks. It's an amazing book on sitcom writing, and it's also applicable to other types of of dramatic TV writing as well. Um, definitely you would do well to buy that book, but hey, even if you haven't yet, I'm sure you're gonna love the interview with Sheldon Bull. I'm gonna get to that interview in just a couple of minutes. I have to preempt the usual news items to talk about a huge one, and that is the TV Writer Podcast Summer Contest. It is now here, and it's running for five weeks, and you would do well to enter because there are easy ways to win. Some of the prizes are actually quite amazing as well. There is a grand prize of a pitch consulting package worth $250 from Jen Grisanti, who has been on the podcast before. You can win final draft software for your screenwriting and TV writing. You can win a career strategy consulting session with author Ellen Sandler. Um, as well, there are instant prizes and weekly prizes. Uh, Pilar Alessandra has donated a DVD. You could win the book Small Screen Big Picture by Chad Gervich. You could win, um, there are several script magazine subscriptions to win and more prizes could be added along the way. You can find details about this contest at tvwriterpodcast.com. And in particular, the, the weekly challenge for this week, which changes every week. This is the challenge from uh, Sunday, July 17th to uh, Saturday, July 23rd at 11.59 p.m. PST. Um, the challenge is to go to the Lee Thompson Script Archive, and you can get the link on the tvwriterpodcast.com contest page. And just tell me what is the total number of free TV scripts pilots and TV Bibles. So that's a, a sum total of those three, not a breakdown, but a sum of the TV scripts, pilots and TV Bibles at the Lee Thompson Script Archive. Email your answer to mail at tvwriterpodcast.com by 11.59 p.m. PST, Saturday, July 23rd, and you just might win a free script magazine subscription. Um, if you want to find out the winner, you can go on the TV Writer Chat on Sunday night at 6.30 p.m. PST, 9.30 p.m. EST. You can get the details about that at tvwriterchat.com. You'll find out not only the winner of the first week challenge, but you'll also find the second week challenge. There are lots of great prizes to win. Um, just very quickly, how do you win the Jen Grisanti Grand Prize? Um, contribute new TV writers for the Twitter database. You can get all the details, again, the contest page about that. But every new TV writer that you contribute for the Twitter database gives you a new entry into the contest. And actually, corrections also help. Um, say, for instance, if a writer was on a certain show and moved to another show, and it's not reflected in the database yet, if you tell me, that counts as an entry too. 
If you want to win final draft software, um, all you have to do is just submit questions for podcast interviews. You can go to the tvwriterpodcast.com site and get the schedule of interviews. Just click on the schedule link at the top of the page and find out not only who's coming, but also the deadline for questions. Send in your questions and that's all you need to do um, to get entered in a draw to win final draft software. If it, if a question is chosen and is read on the podcast, you get an, an additional two bonus entries. That's very cool. And to win the um, career consulting package with Ellen Sandler, all you have to do, and this is really easy, is just like the TV Writer Podcast Facebook group. Now, you may say, well, I already liked it. Well, you're already entered. Everybody who is already a part of the group is already entered. And if you haven't liked the TV Writer Podcast Facebook group, go ahead and do it because Wow, having a personal session with Ellen Sandler to talk about your TV career, that is pretty cool. So again, um, there are many other chances to win, including some instant prizes. So the best way to keep tabs on the contest, first of all, go to the tvwriterpodcast.com site and check out the contest page. You can get a link right up at the top of the website to get to the contest. And as well, another great way is follow me on Twitter, at Jones is my handle. Um, so that is all about the contest and it's running for five weeks, just started this last Sunday. So lots of chances to win, but make sure that you do enter because there have already been a lot of entries. And as well, we have an interview today with Sheldon Bull. I'm going to read a tiny little bio about Sheldon. Boy, he's had a long and storied career in sitcom writing. And, and he has a very modest bio on his book and on his website. So I'll read that bio now. Sheldon Bull has earned elephant bucks as a highly successful TV writer and producer for 30 years. He has held positions from story editor, editor to executive producer on 11 different primetime network situation comedies, working with and writing for stars like Bill Cosby, Alan Alda, Danny DeVito, Bob Newhart, Henry Winkler, Craig T. Nelson, Lonnie Anderson, Betty White, and Melissa Joan Hart. Sheldon has produced a string of hit series including New Hart, A Different World, Coach, and Sabrina the T Teenage Witch, and he lives in the Los Angeles area. He's also a great educator. I happened to see him at the Toronto Screenwriting Conference this April, and, uh, and his book and his teaching both apply equally to dramatic writing as well. You're going to love this interview. Let's roll. This is Gray, and I'm here with writer, producer, author, Sheldon Bull. How you doing, Sheldon? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing excellent. It was such a uh, pleasure meeting you at the Toronto Screenwriting Conference this uh, April. Well, thank you. It was fun to meet you, too. Yeah, and uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed your session. Um, and actually, uh, we'll get to it a little later, but what uh, what really impressed me was how... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not somebody who aspires to be a comedy writer per se, but I know you, in the session you, you taught, you made it very clear that comedy writing is drama writing first. Yeah. And, and all the principles that you talked about were equally applicable to um, dramatic writing as well as, as comedy writing. So um, very, very cool. Good. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to, to your book a little later, but first uh, we always start with... Um, with stories about how you got started, because I think they're very, very helpful to people who are who are aspiring to be writers to to be able to see all of the different paths that people take 
to get to the industry. So, so for you, I know that you went to um, UCLA. Or yes. Was it? Yes. And uh, it, but before that, what what motivated you to want to go to UCLA and and to get started writing? Well, I wanted to be in show business somehow, and uh, I'd been doing a lot of acting in high school and then my first couple of years in college, and uh, I had my own theater group and that I started with a couple other people. And But I quickly, uh, my late teens, early 20s, began to realize that even though I loved acting, that probably wasn't the right profession for me because I just didn't think I was talented enough. Mm-hmm. I had a, a very close friend who was going to UCLA and uh, was in their screenwriting program there. And she said, uh, that's what you should do. You should come to UCLA and get in the screenwriting program with me and we can collaborate. And I said, okay. So I had to go someplace. So I mm-hmm. uh, went to UCLA and got into the screenwriting program there. Loved it. I, I didn't feel that movie writing was right for me at that time. I really did want to get into half-hour comedy almost immediately, but they really didn't teach TV writing. They didn't teach TV writing at UCLA in those days. They really still don't, except in the extension program where mm. I had taught a few times. But in terms of the the regular student program, they don't. So I had to kind of teach myself, try to figure it out on my own. So I was writing a lot of spec scripts on my own. I joined a little writer's group with some other screenwriting students at UCLA, and they'd bring in their movie scripts or their plays or whatever, and I'd, I'd bring in my... Uh, my spec Bob Newhart shows or, or whatever I was working on. Mm-hmm. I, I finished UCLA and uh, took a year off, and then I went back to grad school. Uh, and while I was in grad school there, I met a wonderful man named Bill Frug, who was the head of their uh, graduate screenwriting program at UCLA. Mm-hmm. He liked my work. He was still active in the business. And he said, uh, I'll uh, help you get a job. And I thought, what a nice thing to say. I can't imagine that really coming true. But he uh, he took my stuff around for six months. Well, the first thing he did was read the, the half-hour stuff I had written and then uh, mark everything up with red pen mm-hmm. and tell me how awful it all was and make me rewrite, made me rewrite everything over and over again. But I did a, I did a lot of writing. I probably had 12 spec sitcom scripts uh, by the time I got to Bill he had me concentrate on two of them and get them into good shape, which took a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Then he took them around. And because he knew a lot of people, uh, he was able to get it to uh, a producer who actually was looking to hire a writer on a on a new series. And uh, I got a job. Uh, it was a special program that the Writers Guild had at that time, an apprentice program where you got paid. I got paid $250 a week. Wow. My first job. I was making less than the secretaries who were making $260 a week. Wow. But I would have paid them $250 a week for the opportunity. Uh-huh. And uh, that was how I got started. And uh, I didn't screw up too bad on that first show. And so another job followed and another job after that. And 25 years later, I was still working. Wow. Wow. That That is incredible. And uh, <laughs> I, I I love the story of your mash your first mash spec script. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about uh, about about that script? Well, I, I was working on my second TV series. I was working on a show called Fish, but I had a lot of free time on that show for reasons that I I, I won't go into unless you you want me to. Uh, it's a long story. <laughs> uh-huh. But I, I wanted to show that I could write better quality shows, and so I I was still writing spec scripts even after I had gotten hired to work on staff uh, as a writer on on network sitcoms. I was still writing spec scripts because I wanted to, to move up and I wanted to show what I could do. 
So yes, I wrote a uh, I wrote a spec mash uh, in my free time, and my uh, agent really liked it, and did something that agents almost never do with <laughs> spec scripts, which is he gave it to the people who were actually doing the show. Mm-hmm. If you write a spec episode of Modern Family and you have an agent, that agent is probably not going to give it to the people at Modern Family because they're going to pretty much automatically hate it. Yeah. But my agent had so much faith in this uh, in this mash that I wrote that he actually gave it to the producer of mash who at the time was uh, Bert Metcalf and Bert loved it and he hired me to not not to do that script uh, even though they they liked that script they felt it was too controversial actually for mash hmm. which was something I had done on purpose I had written a really controversial episode to try to get their attention or get somebody's attention mm-hmm. but. They liked that script so much that they, they said, you can come in and you can pitch uh, some ideas to us. And so I did, and they uh, they liked one of them, and uh, I got to write, actually ended up writing two episodes of MASH. Very, very cool. I mean, I, I know all, all the stuff you work on is cool, but those, like, just... That's that's like that's like playing guitar for you too. I, I mean, writing up. A... <laughs> yeah, MASH was the coolest of the credits. No yeah. question about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very very cool. And but you you did write on some really great series. I mean, I loved the New Heart show, um, Coach, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I mean, some <laughs> amazing amazing shows. Um, uh, but t- tell me, maybe just some highlights of 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 getting on the different staffs and and you were working your way up to the to the producer level and and uh, and even uh, you were showrunner on on a couple of series. Yeah, I, the showrunner was never my my best position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in my 30s, I was rather emotional, and being a showrunner requires one to be very, very calm and cool all the time, and I wasn't really great at that in my 30s, so I, I did run a couple of shows briefly. I, I, I ran a, a very short-lived, a deservedly short-lived series called Easy Street, with Lonnie Anderson, and mm. I and I ran uh, the series A Different World for a short amount of time. But uh, again, I was just was not suited to the jobs, and and so they ended very quickly. But yeah, I worked my way up. I you know started out with no credits uh, on the show. The first show I worked on, the McLean Stevenson show in 1976, I had no credit on that show, and then went on to Fish, and I was a story editor on that, and I was a story editor on the Barry White show, and then I was got bumped up to executive story editor on a show called Angie, which uh, starred Donna Pescal, who'd been in the movie Saturday Night Fever, and uh, Gary Marshall was the boss on that show, wow. and uh, started a a, a long friendship with Gary that continues to this day. And uh, wow. then from Angie, I went to a show called It's a Living, for which was about waitresses, which was for Paul Witt and Tony Thomas, who had done Soap and The Golden Girls and a number of other hit shows. And I did that show for a couple of years for those guys. And then my agent came by my office one day and said, uh, I knew that he was representing Barry Camp. And I'd met Barry back when I was working on the Betty White show. He came in to write an episode for us. And my agent represented both of us. And he said, hey, uh, Barry's going to do a new series for Bob Newhart. And I said, can I get on that? <laughs> and he well, let me talk to Barry. Yeah. And so we had lunch, and we liked each other. And he said, sure, come on the show with me. So I worked with him to develop that series. He was the creator of the series, but I did have a developed by credit on that. We did the first two years of Newhart. And mm-hmm. Then uh, I did a couple. I did a couple other things, and then uh, he brought me back to do a coach with him, and we had a great time on there. And 
then uh, I, I took a couple of years off, and then uh, I wrote a couple of pilots and everything, and didn't do too much. And then I got on Sabrina, and somehow that ate up 25 years. <laughs> wow! It doesn't wow. take very long to to mention it, but it 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 it, uh, it ate up 25 years. Well, I mean, it, I mean, you you worked on some some killer killer shows, and and just and I I know I know writing sitcoms is really really hard work. But it must have been so cool to work with Bob Newhart and, I mean, Craig Nelson. I mean, like these, like, now, how, tell me, tell me, actually, just because I was a bit of a Newhart fan, um, uh, was, what kind of involvement did he have? Because I know he's a great comedian in his own right. Um, what did involvement did he have in the writing? Not a lot, for a couple of reasons. One, Bob really did want to leave the writing to the writers. Mm-hmm. And just concentrate on the acting part. But they also sort of had a rule at MTM in those days. Uh, MTM was the company started by Mary Tyler Moore and her husband, Grant Tinker. Mm-hmm. When they started with the Mary Tyler Moore show and Mary and Grant formed their own production company and went on to be two of the most successful independent producers of half hour comedy ever in, in TV. The original Bob Newhart show and then Newhart later, Rhoda, uh, the Lou Grant show, mm. uh, I mean, St. Uh, Elsewhere. It was a long, long list of just really superb. Uh, Phyllis, you know, I could go on forever. WKRP in mm. Cincinnati, all of those shows were MTM shows. Wow. Grant Tinker ran the company, the best executive I ever worked for. Um, and Grant had a rule at MTM, and the rule was writers write and actors act. Mm. And he, you know, kind of told you right away when you went to work there, don't write yourself into an episode because you're a writer and you don't, you're not an actor here. Because a lot of, a lot of writers were frustrated actors. And he said, and actors don't, uh, at this company, actors don't come back to the room and tell the writers how to write the show. Mm. Uh, we let writers write. Because I'm not quoting Grant, but this was the this was the idea that he had at the company. The writers will do their best work if they don't feel like uh, everything they do is going to be second guessed, and and actors will do their best work if they're just left to concentrate on acting. So Bob followed along with that, and he really was an actor on the show. Um, and yes, certainly during the week, if Bob had an idea, we listened to it. Uh, because this is a man with uh, years and years of experience, and you're not gonna you're not gonna ignore Bob Newhart. But uh, he really wasn't he really was an actor on the show. Hmm. Very very cool. Well, and that actually leads me to a question. It, like because you were working um, through this, I, I don't want to call it a golden age. Uh, like, but it was there were just huge huge comedies and a whole pile of them in the 80s and 90s and then it seemed in some ways like comedy died a little bit on tv um you having worked through all all of those years what do you what do you think was responsible for that well with respect to those wonderful writers and producers who were doing uh half hour comedies in, in the in the first decade of this new century I think they would probably argue that that you know they were doing their really good stuff, and and I wouldn't want to disparage the work that was done, but I but I do think that that it got a little challenging around 2000, maybe even a, a few years before that. A lot of things were happening all at once. 
the 500 channel universe, which had been around for a while, but really came into being around then the internet, which, you know, we forget how new the internet is. Mm -hmm. Uh, it really wasn't around much in the nineties and, and suddenly, you know, in the, in the mid to late nineties, it, it started to appear and suddenly people, uh, viewers had an enormous number of choices that they never had before. When I was growing up, there were three or four channels to watch, mm. and that was it. But now, a person in the evening looking to fill their free time has a dozen options beyond television mm -hmm. to entertain themselves. And the broadcast networks were very slow to realize that, appreciate it, and figure out the strategy to deal with it. So television, broadcast television had been hemorrhaging audience really since the 80s, and so, and the other thing that was going on in the first decade, I don't know what, even what to call those yeah. years, the aughts or whatever, you yeah. know, the, the zeros, whatever the, the first 10 years of the 21st century were, the networks also at that time were trying desperately to cut costs. And that was the era of who wants to be a millionaire mm. running five nights a week. And this was the beginning of the so-called reality series, Survivor and the thousands of, of variations of, you know, who can lose the most weight this week and, and all of that nonsense. Mm -hmm. And and the networks were putting those shows on because they were incredibly inexpensive to produce and, and people would watch them. So uh, scripted television had to sort of fight its way back. And, you know, I felt at the time that, that people would tire of all of this. I didn't think it would go away, and it hasn't. Entirely, it's still very much a presence, but but viewers did tire of it a little bit, and they have been coming back to scripted TV quite a bit. And uh, it started with the one-hour dramas having an enormous resurgence, with the CSI franchise and the Law and Order franchise, this whole uh, uh, procedural drama thing. Hmm brought a lot of viewers back and now in the last few years uh, we've had hit shows like Two and a Half Men which spawned a, a whole you know block of, of hit shows on Monday night for CBS and now you have you had The Office anchoring a, a whole night for NBC on Thursday now you have Modern Family anchoring a night for ABC so it's all coming back. I don't think it'll ever come back to the level it was in 1981, but it has fought its way back. Hmm. So I think it was a lot of things happening all at once that led to a slump there in terms of viewer interest hmm. in half-hour comedy. But I think viewer interest right now is is quite high. Again, it, not like it was in 1979, but it's 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 the best it's been in a long time. And uh, with with really good shows like uh, like The Big Bang Theory and Mike and Molly and, and Modern Family and Parks and Recreation and like Thirty Rock, it's coming. It's 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 back, and it's I think it's going to stay there. Hmm. Well, that's uh, that's great news. I I know that uh, we need to fight for scripted shows. Um, <laughs> reality TV is this big juggernaut. <laughs> well, you just got to go in and show them that you can do better. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and actually, that 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 raises a point. Um, as we talk about trends, um, even even when you wrote your book in in two thousand six, two thousand seven ish, yeah, which seems like forty years ago now, because looking at how things have changed. <laughs> yeah, but in in your book, you you said something which was that um, you shouldn't even try to write a pilot until you've written 
not only written a pile of specs, but you've actually gotten on staff, even gotten to the producer level, then try to write a pilot in, yeah. in the comedy world. But now, a few years later, um, it seems the word on the street is that there's a whole pile of um, showrunners that won't even look at specs anymore. They want to see pilots. Yeah, and I and I have backtracked on all of that. I, uh -huh. I have I have I have backstroked and, and written on my blog extensively that uh, that I I no longer hold that view. I still think that it would be better for everybody. I, I think if you were trying to to learn how to write half hour or even one hour, mm -hmm. it's really a good idea just on your own to try to pick a show that you really like and try to write a spec episode and and really. Write four, five, six, you know, I wrote 12. Write a lot of them uh, just on your own to to teach yourself how to do it. Mm -hmm. But then, yes, I, I say to all aspiring writers who, who ask me these days, part of your portfolio should be a spec pilot. They're very hard to write, and if you haven't worked on a series, it's that much harder. But then again, on the other side, maybe it helps you to to you know have some a little bit of blissful ignorance mm -hmm. and maybe that'll help you be a little more creative but yes you do you do need to have a, a spec pilot as or two as part of your portfolio now mm -hmm. well and it and it's it's interesting um because perhaps that's what hollywood needs is is people thinking outside of the hollywood box well, that's, that's never been the case. Uh -huh. uh, the Hollywood box is someplace where everybody is very comfortable. It tends to move very incrementally. And, mm -hmm. and even if you, I mean, if you, if you write a spec, a, a, a wonderful spec pilot that's wildly creative, which is what one should try to do, the best you can hope for that is that, is that, as you say, some producer, some showrunner or story editor or something will read that and say, wow, this is different. Let's bring this person in and, and meet with them. And then, and then hopefully they'll put you on staff for their show. They're not going to buy your spec pilot. No network is going to buy your spec pilot. All network half hour comedies and one hour shows are all created by people who are very experienced hmm. because the, the network executives are not going to risk jobs that they have worked very, very hard to get. Uh, on some unknown quantity, some person who's never done it before because that person could fall on their face and, and make a mess. So all of the shows that come on the air are created by uh, veteran people. In fact, I, I wrote on my blog uh, just a few months ago, I when all of the uh, pilots were in consideration for the fall schedule, I wrote a blog in which I said, let me, I, I've, I've just read the titles of the shows that are being considered, the, the, the pilots that are being considered, mm -hmm. and the people attached. Yeah. And just based on who's attached, let me predict for you which shows are going to get picked up. And then after the schedules were announced, I went back and wrote a second blog to say, let's see how I did. Uh -huh. And I, I batted 800. I, I got 80% right. Wow. And even the shows that I hadn't predicted would get picked up were still run by veteran TV writers and producers. Mm. So they're not going to think outside the box. Uh, that's that's too scary. That's too too dangerous. They don't do it in the movie business, and they're not going to do it in TV either. But 
if you get your break and you get on a show and you, you get established as a half-hour writer and your day finally comes when they're ready to hear your idea, that's your chance to move everything along a few inches. And that's, and that's really all it ever is. Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld moved things along just a few inches. Seinfeld was, was a very unique show, and yet at the same time, it was extremely traditional. Hmm. And Modern Family is new in a way, and really, really traditional in another way. You, you have to find that balance, and that's really all the public is ever ready for. You get a little too far out ahead with a wonderful show like Arrested Development, and you just never find an audience because it's a little too challenging. Or Aaron Sorkin had an absolutely brilliant half-hour comedy about 10 years ago called Sports Night. Mm -hmm. Absolutely brilliant show. I remember when I saw the pilot, and I was working on Sabrina the Teenage Witch at the end, at the time, and I came in the next morning and I said to the other writers, guys, the bar has been raised. This is as good a writing as I've ever, ever seen on a half hour. But it never found an audience. It wow. was too far out in front. So the hit shows are the ones that just move things along an inch or two. Hmm. <laughs> Very cool. Well, t tell me a little bit then about... Um, so your book was published in 2007. Um, uh -huh. what made you want to write this book? What motivated you to, you to write it? Two things. A minor thing was I was uh, teaching some courses in television writing uh, at a university at the time. And uh, the head of the screenwriting program there said to me, you know, we don't, there is no really good book on half hour comedy. Now that was that person's opinion. There were several books out. At, at the time, and, and, and they were fine. Mm -hmm. But this person was, was flattering me and saying, I, I wish you would write a book. So I, I wasn't really in a mood to do that at the time, but then not long after that, Blake Snyder published uh, Save the Cat. Mm. And Blake was a dear, dear friend of mine and a collaborator of mine. We wrote four screenplays together. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, none of them got made, but but we did write them, <laughs> and we went to a lot of meetings uh, uh -huh. in Hollywood together, and uh, and and ate a million lunches together, and and just had a wonderful time uh, sharing each other's company. And anyway, when Blake published Save the Cat, he said to me, "Now it's time for you to write Save the Cat for TV." And he said, "I've already talked to the publisher, and they're ready for the book, so you better get cracking." Wow. So that's that's how uh, uh, Elephant Bucks came to be. It was it was really mostly Blake Snyder setting it all up for me and telling me to go do it. Wow, wow. <laughs> well, I I know um, Save the Cat for me. I mean, I I had read probably twenty five feature writing books before I read Save the Cat, and that was really the one that just opened my eyes to really understand the story. Yes, uh, I, I got to experience Save the Cat in person. Mm. You know, I'm one of those rare people. I was sitting in Jerry's Deli here in Los Angeles, lunch after lunch after lunch with Blake as he was spilling all this stuff out for me. And, and I had, I had been paid to write two or three screenplays at that point. Again, none of them got made, but you know, I got a nice check and I, I wrote these scripts. Never feeling like I had any idea what I was doing. And then when I met Blake and he started explaining all of this to me, I was like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, I kept saying to him, you need to write this all down. And he yeah. would sort of smile wryly and say, well, I might do that one day. And then one day at lunch, he surprises me. He just he hands me the manuscript and said, I did it. Wow. There's the, here's the book and it's going to be published and, and all that. So, <laughs> yes, I, I never I never met anybody who could explain it as well as he did. Wow. Well, and, and you know what? Uh, Elephant Bucks. I mean, it is a great, great book on on uh, comedy sitcom writing. And uh, what I love about it is and as, as I said, I, I never I never um, set out to be a comedy writer, but when I read your book, it was like St. Crispin's Day for comedy writers. It was like <laughs> this rallying cry and the passion and energy in the book. It, it, it's just palpable. Sometimes that's very annoying to people. I, I do have a lot of passion and energy, and then sometimes people tell me to just please be quiet. Uh-huh. Uh, but but I did try to get that onto the page. <laughs> yeah, well, it it absolutely worked. I mean, it's it's hard to read that book and not. It's like Forrest Gump. But when I w- went to see Forrest Gump, I left the theater and I wanted to start running. Oh and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I think I mean definitely if anybody's discouraged, um, even for that alone, they should they should buy your book because um, it it definitely is a, is a rally cry. And and but at the same time, I mean the the message of the book is that you got to work really hard at this. I mean the fact that um, you suggest having five or six spec scripts before you really even try to hit the town, good solid yeah. spec scripts. Yeah, and I, I I I think that's very valid. Uh, even with the prevailing attitude about pilots, um, there still is a, a big need for specs. Yeah, one of the things I say in the book right off the bat is the question that you're going to get asked, if you hand somebody something that you've written, drama, comedy, screenplay, whatever it is, you hand somebody something you've written and they love it, the first thing they're going to say to you is, what else have you got? Mm-hmm. They will always say that. And you don't want to stand there going, um, nothing, this is it. Uh, you want to say, I've got five other things. You know, what, 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 which would you like? I've got this. I've got a pilot. I've got a spec episode of Mo- Modern Family. I've got a spec, you know, Big Bang Theory. What would you like to read? I, I, Whatever you like, I can give it to you. That's what you want to be able to say because they are absolutely going to ask you that question. And I still ask people all the time, people who are executives, agents, successful writers in the business, what about the question, what else have you got? And everybody says, that's the first thing I asked. Yeah. So that's, that's why, that's why I tell you have, have five or six things. Absolutely. And, and particularly because what you're, what you're asking to do is get on a staff where you'll be pumping out a new episode every, every few weeks. Well, a new episode every week (laughs) on every, uh, on every half hour down here in the U S I mean, you, you start, you start your, your pre-production season in late May, early June you start shooting shows sometime in July. You have just a few weeks to to just get everybody going, and then you're doing a show a week, and uh, with with maybe you'll do like three shows a month, and then take a hiatus, and you're working like a dog during that hiatus. And you know to do to get those 22 or 26 or 28 episodes in, there is no breathing room yeah. once the series starts, and and the series just eats up episodes. So eats up scripts so quickly. It is it is a killer job. It's sixty hours a week uh, minimum, and mm. 
you got to have the stamina and you got to be able to crank out a lot of material. Yeah. And so if, if you've if you've spent 2 years polishing your perfect pilot. Oh god. <laughs> you're in so much trouble. Yeah. Uh, I I I mentioned in the book that when Barry and I were doing coach, uh we had a couple of writers in because we had read a spec cheers that they had written and it was superb. It was maybe the spec, best spec script I ever read. It was absolutely superb. Mm -hmm. We brought the guys in. Uh, they pitched us some ideas. Uh, we sent them off to do an outline, and they were gone forever. <laughs> and we finally had to kind of call them up and go, uh, what about that outline? And, well, they had spent two years writing this Cheers. Wow. And uh, you don't have that kind of time in television. you got a few days. So and they just couldn't work at that pace. Well, and we weren't able to uh, we weren't able to to do anything with them because they just couldn't work at that pace. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, and I love your advice too about when you go into a pitch meeting, having six completely plotted episodes. Oh yeah, yeah. Because because it, I mean I I remember this very very distinctly from pitching at Nash. You've got like four words out of your out of your mouth to pitching a story idea. They've done that. What, what else you got? <laughs> well, I've I've got one where where a Hawkeye and Hotless. No, we did that one. Uh, what else have you got? And and suddenly, you know, your twelve ideas that you have, eleven of them are gone. Wow. And and now you're like, oh my god, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I'm, so, I, yeah, now, yeah. I I remember um, an interview with Stephen J. Cannell, um, who obviously was was show creator king. Yep. And and when he went in to, to pitch uh, a series, he, he said he had 11 or 12 or 13 plots completely worked out. Oh, you have to. Yeah, you have to when you go into pitch because uh, it, early in your career, if you're, if you're a, I mean, when Steven got to be, you know, after Rockford Files and, you know, uh, I, I'm sure all he had to do is walk in the room and say, yes, I'll do a show. And that's all <laughs> he needed to, to hear. But, it, but it's, if it's your first first time out at the network you better have the whole season plotted out because they're going to ask you about all of that stuff and if you don't have answers you are you are a dead duck and you're not going to get this chance again mm -hmm. well in it uh, just a just a tiny little throwaway uh, in your book when you talked about pilots you said maybe i'll write a book on pilots um <laughs> have you thought about writing a book on because i i don't know i know there are books on writing a pilot but i I don't know of any books on writing a pilot sitcom. Well, there there certainly is a book there. I, I Elephant Bucks has has been a wonderful experience. I'm I'm really glad I wrote the book, but it has not been Save the Cat. Everybody thinks that they have a screenplay in them, and so uh, Blake, you know, he, a he wrote a wonderful book, and and B he had a huge potential audience out there because there are thousands of people. Who, who think they have a movie in them. The number of people who want to write for half-hour comedy is actually surprisingly small in terms of trying to sell the book. <laughs> and, uh, and while I've sold quite a few books, uh, it hasn't been anything like Save the Cat. And therefore, I've had no requests for a sequel. <laughs> so, uh, yes, if, if, if somehow there was, uh, you know, some massive upsurge of interest in this book and, and the publisher came back to me and said, do you have another book in you? I would try to do a book on pilots, but I don't think that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure the, anyone who bought your book 
is uh is going to want that book but uh, we'll see hey maybe you could do it as an ebook well maybe maybe i'll dribble it out in the blog <laughs> <laughs> cool um so what we what we usually do towards the end of an interview is advice for breaking in and now obviously the first piece of advice is to buy elephant bucks and read it <laughs> <laughs> but after somebody's bought elephant bucks and read it and I, I mean, it's, I know you, you you give a lot of breaking in advice there, but just, just encapsulate Reader's Digest, Digest version. What would your advice be to somebody who really wants a career in sitcom writing or TV writing in general? The first thing is ha have a big portfolio of stuff before you start trying to sell yourself. Have written 10 spec scripts and have four or five of them that are really good because you do have to give yourself a chance to write some bad ones. And I wrote plenty of bad ones. And then after you got all that, and and you got your spec pilot and all that, you've got to be in Los Angeles. Uh, you cannot become a, a successful half-hour sitcom writer in the United States unless you're in L.A. And then this is the big trick: is is figuring out uh, or getting lucky. You know, figuring out how you're going to take that next step. It's different for every single person. I, I have known dozens and dozens of very successful half-hour and one-hour writers in my career. No two people have the same story. Hmm. People come to it from every possible direction. People come to it from the theater. People come to it from being a stand-up comedian or, or a performer and actor. People come to it from writing novels, you know, I, I really, I don't know two people with the same story. That's the hardest part. I mean, writing the scripts is hard enough. Figuring out how you're going to get someone to notice you is the next step. And I, I wish I had, well, you just do this, this, and this. But there is no answer like that. You've got to be here. You've got to get yourself around the people who are doing this by going to things at the Writers Guild, by getting in a class at USC or UCLA. There are dozens and dozens of ways to do it. You know, one of, one of my favorite old anecdotes, this is way back when I was at UCLA, there was a screenwriter who had come through the UCLA program and was now a big shot movie writer named Colin Higgins. And he wrote a very famous movie called Harold, Harold and Maude. Mm -hmm. And he also wrote Silver Streak and, and a couple of other movies. And Colin had been a UCLA screenwriting student, and the way Colin got his first break, I was told, now I never met him, but what I was told, was that he happened to be living in the guest house of a director. Wow. You know, he was a UCLA kid, and he needed a place to live, and there was some director who had a, you know, a pool house on his estate, and he wanted to rent it out. And Colin was living there and showed this guy Harold and Maude, and, and that's how the movie got made. Wow. There are a million ways to get lucky. Barry Kemp, who created Coach and created Newhart, and who, for whom I worked uh, a lot, Barry was uh, a life insurance salesman in Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. Trying to make it. He was writing dinner theater and trying to find a way to break into half hour his wife talked him into going to a club one night because Jerry Van Dyke was was uh, appearing at this club. So mm. Barry went and saw Jerry's act. He was a big fan of the Dick Van Dyke show and and big fan of Jerry's. And his wife said to him, as the story Barry told me, his wife said to him, go back after the set and, and just say hi. 
and Barry's like, I, I don't even know him. She's like, <laughs> tell him that you love him. Tell him that you think he's brilliant. So Barry went backstage and, you know, Mr. Van Dyke, I'm just, you know, I'm just a guy in the audience, but I thought you were wonderful. And, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, wanted to break into show business. Jerry said, well, you write comedy? He said, yeah. And Jerry said, well, come to my hotel tomorrow morning and bring me 25 jokes. Wow. He, so Barry stayed up all night, wrote all these jokes, went to Jerry's hotel the next day, pitched him some jokes. Jerry liked a few of them, said he paid him for them, uh, said, I'll put them in my act. Write me some more. Write me some more. So he wrote jokes for Jerry for a short amount of time. Well, Jerry happened to be very close friends with a writer and producer in L.A. named Jim Brooks, James mm. L. Brooks. Wow. Uh, and Jim was starting a new show called Taxi. <laughs> and Jim, through Jerry, Jim called Barry up and said, uh, why don't you come to L.A., kid, and let's see what we can do for you. Wow. And that started his career. So you never know. You never know. But but it's your imagination and your willingness to put yourself out there and take a chance. That's going to be it. But there there's no one plan. Uh, your way will be completely different from my way. I, I happen to be in grad school and... One of my professors liked my work and, and went out on a limb for me. There are a thousand ways to do it. People start out as, you know, as, as, a, as a, working on a game show, and then you know, maybe they get a chance to write some jokes for the celebrity guests or for the host on the game show, and then the next thing they know, well, they meet a few people, and they, are, they can submit a script you know, to somebody, and, and suddenly they're working. There are a million different ways to do it. And I, I really, I don't know two writers who have the same story. Yeah. Well, and certainly the advice of your book is great in that when you do get that break, um, having the material to show for yourself. When opportunity knocks, you better be ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is a great place to end up. And, uh, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, people can find you at your website, sheldonbull.com. Or, or elephantbucks.com, either one. Or elephantbucks.com, yep. Both of them will take you to the website. Yeah. And now, are you on Twitter? I do not tweet. I just haven't ever gotten into it. Maybe someday I will tweet. And I'm not on Facebook either, uh, to, to my daughter's great pleasure, <laughs> because I, I think I would embarrass her terribly if I got on Facebook. But, but I am, I am there at my website and I do answer email. I answer all my email. So if you, if you want to, uh, get in touch with me. Just go to uh, to elephantbucks.com and and uh, you'll find a, a contact link and send me an email and I'll answer your question. Wonderful. But I won't read your script. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, thanks again for taking the time, and I really appreciate you. Uh, even though um, you said that you haven't sold as many copies of that book, but as somebody who's read your book, those who read it really appreciate it. Well. But I, I thank everybody who's bought a copy, and, and I'm glad that uh, glad if it was helpful. Great. Well, thanks so much, Sheldon. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. <laughs>